Moncrief on News Talk. This was your first ever. Mm. And young David Beckham coming on. Yep, my first ever game. Young midfield player. As Kachowski's goes on. Look how young, dude. I know. Uh, 17. We know that they're going to run long. They're going to run forever. Adam the charging. Bullets getting himself into trouble. Beckham. It's a goal! 2-0! Well, the young boys are doing Alex Ferguson proud. My first goal was great, but I was more excited about celebrating with Eric. Try on the youngster's face there. <laughs> That's one of his favourite memories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that moment like when the ball hit the net? It was a dream. It was just a dream. And like, I'd never had a feeling like it in my life, never. Let's move around, Steve. Can you get the boots? These here, see that Bex? <laughs> That's uh, Beckham. You can stream all episodes now on Netflix. James Dempsey joins us once again. Afternoon, James. Afternoon, Sean. What do we possibly need to know about David Beckham <laughs> that we don't know already? Well, you know... You know, the thing is, like, obviously, I uh, was alive for all of David Beckham's career and I know who he is. He is the other half of Ant Bex and, or, or, and Posh, I should say. Um, but I'm not a football fan by any means. And although I had a fairly decent osmotic knowledge of football because of having a Liverpool adoring brother, um, ever since then, I have had no knowledge of football since, you know, since uh, we moved out of the family home. And this time around, you're getting a four part documentary that is all about effectively David Beckham's rise from uh, from schoolboy to you know uh, to scouted school footballer or, or f- football boy I don't know what the word I'm even looking for is and then his um, time in Manchester United meeting Victoria Beckham uh, and then his career beyond that so really this documentary is focusing on his time as a player uh, from the beginning very very beginning of his career to uh, the end of his career and we'll put a question mark on that and it comes from Fisher Stevens who um, people will probably best know as Hugo in Succession one of the uh, you know one of the kind of underlings who's always lurking in the background uh, but he is a very successful documentarian in his own right he won an Oscar a few years ago for making The Cove and to me he'll always be um, <laughs> that guy in he'll be Johnny Five's sidekick in Short Circuit mm. uh, bit of a throwback and he actually was proposed to David Beckham by Leonardo DiCaprio, because those are the circles that <clears throat> David Beckham is uh, rubbing shoulders with, because David Beckham wanted to make a documentary about himself, and he asked, who do you think should make it? And Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio recommended Fisher Stevens. And we get this very handsomely, I would say, highly succession-inspired documentary. And by that, I mean the choice of music is very, you know, very succession-y, the kind of even just... Uh, the, the whole thing is about rich people, you know, and, and kind mm. of backward dealings and all that kind of stuff. So it has a big succession vibe to it. And I will say, even as a non-football fan... I thoroughly enjoyed this documentary. It is, it zips along at a great pace. I mean, it's very, very easy to follow in the sense that it is about a footballer who has a great, you know, right foot and his meteoric rise to superstardom on the pitch. 
but what's intriguing, I guess, for the non-football fans is how it, you know, how it works in parallel as a discussion of celebrity. And it's maybe, you know, you know, I guess, I don't know, uh, I don't know if, it, if David Beckham was the first ever celebrity footballer, but he was the first of this new brand of celebrity footballers who were able to monetize their image completely and utterly. And he wanted that. He didn't just want to be a footballer, right? He also wanted the glitz, the fame, the endorsement deals. And that comes into problems with people like, you know, Alex Ferguson and other teammates. Although I did quite enjoy Roy Keane's very, like, no-nonsense uh, take on it. But all in, it's a very slick-made documentary, even though David Beckham, by his own admission, is not very intelligent. You know, he says this right at the beginning <laughs> of the show. And he's also just not a great raconteur. I mean... Mm. The, you know, the camera sort of pans to him, you know, at these bits where he'll be like, oh, I felt terrible, <laughs> right? Or like, oh, it was great. And that's all he has to add, right? It's like his sound bites are very, very kind of facile, basic statements on what's going on. So Fisher Stevens very cleverly employs everyone else in his life because everyone else seems to be much better telling or commenting on what's going on than Beckham himself. But look, they needed golden balls himself to make it all happen. Yeah, uh, but this was um, this idea was generated by David Beckham. So would it be fair to say that perhaps it wouldn't be entirely critical of David Beckham? I think that's fair to say. Uh, while I think the documentary doesn't necessarily pull its punches on describing, let's say, the kind of the old Trafford, old guard and, you know, new player dichotomy in the sense that uh, it's clear that he and Alex Ferguson didn't uh, get on particularly, Alex Ferguson rather, didn't get on particularly uh, well and certainly had their uh, testy moments. But like where it's intriguing is, so, you know, at, at the end of the first episode, we see that infamous uh, red card that he got in France in the World Cup in 1998, playing against um, Argentina, where he kicked the player in the back of his leg. And it, then in the sort of next episode, we learn about how, you know, how how pilloried he was by the British press and by the British public, we should add, you know, including effigies hung outside buildings and players, you know, people in, in the streets spitting on him and jeering and all this kind of stuff going on for months and months and months and months. And he talks about how damaging this was to his mental health. And that's all totally valid. I, I could see how it would be really bad. But what we don't get then at the end, and perhaps it's because of timing and when the thing was shot, but like we don't get, uh, you know, we don't get Fisher Stevens sort of saying, and how about when you took all that money to, you know, endorse the World Cup in Qatar uh, mm. despite your, you know, your thing. So we, we don't get a quite an even-handed look at that. But all in, it's a, a, as a sort of, pleasant easygoing watch it zips along at a great pace and it is really very entertaining and i will say credit where it is due to victoria beckham she runs away with all the best one-liners she is clearly a very like witty funny person and their dynamic between each other is very charming when you see them together mm. so is it just the, the, the if you like the football part of his career rather than what he did post-football so because it mostly follows his football career, like, you know, I, I can't say it doesn't cover his life off the pitch. Obviously, it does. Right. So, I mean, the best anecdote for that is probably when he's talking about uh, the birth of one of his children. I think it's Brooklyn, his first, you know, his eldest child. And uh, he, it, Victoria has just had a, a cesarean after being suggested, being told to have it by her obstetrician rather than being too posh to push, which is, of course, the narrative that went in the papers. But uh, David, she says, David, you need 
need to go out and announce this to the public and his reaction is yeah but will you do my hair first <laughs> right so we do get a lot of look of him as you know this this token figure of shall we say metrosexuality in the 90s and early 2000s and there's a lot of commentary about his endorsement deals and like how when Victoria was giving birth to another one of their sons he was off doing a photo shoot with Beyonce and Jennifer Lopez and we do get a look at all this kind of stuff and how we'll say brand Beckham comes into contact with brand football in general particularly when he joins Real Madrid and how that is sort of seen as both a football and a business deal kind of for both of them but kind of the intriguing thing and the thing that perhaps isn't probed in the documentary is how his influence has perhaps changed football in general and that you know now all footballers aspire to be this big global brand rather than on the pitch if you let you know rather than just scoring mm. goals you know, in the back of the net, etc. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, Beckham. So our next show is Love in the Country. Starts tonight at 9.30 on RTE2. You can catch up on the RTE player. Here's a clip. Um, what's your hobbies or what are you into? Um, it's sport mainly. Yeah, what yeah, kind of sport? Med sport, GA, rugby, yeah. soccer more, mostly. Yeah. I watch okay. anything really. Would you go out once yourself or? Uh, usually kind of go out of a Saturday night now. You'll be ready to go out out weekends after after a hard week's work. Yeah, you'd be yeah. nearly looking forward to it. I'll be praying for it to come. <laughs> and um, yeah. 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 I find it a bit harder to draw chat out of him. Ethan looks like our time is up. Yeah, best friend. <laughs> I let you go. It was lovely meeting you. Lovely meeting you too, and hopefully we can meet again. Perfect. Thanks, Millie. Thank you. See you now. I suppose the laugh factor wasn't there as much, but a really nice guy. I thought it went really well. There was one or two awkward moments, but you'd get that if you're meeting someone for the first time. Hopefully I'll get to the next stage. Okay, so this is Culchies looking for love, or is it specifically <laughs> farmers looking for love? It is specifically farmers, because this is actually, you know, in, in the credits at one point, they say that this is an Irish import of the format the farmer wants a wife, which ran on, I think it's a British show originally, but is now one of these formats that has gone around the world, any country where I guess farming is a major industry, uh, especially Australia. It seems to be exceptionally popular over there. And here we have Anna Geary uh, going around meeting these farmers. And then a, a few weeks ago, they were posted on the, you know, the, or a few months ago, I should say, they were posted on the, on the website where members of the public could take a look and see if they fancied them. And, wrote, and of course, in a very old-fashioned way, write a letter. <laughs> and so at the beginning of each sort of uh, episode, or and, and this runs across, seems to run across a whole series. Like at the end of the first episode, the two featured uh, farmers, one male, one female, they are Alana and Rob, haven't made up their mind yet on who they want to date. They've just whittled it down to a group of three each. But they start with the letter, and then they do some incredibly charming and unbelievably awkward speed dating which is what we heard in the clip there and from that they whittle it down to three and then i mean i don't know if this is par for the course yet but in the first episode alana's was it seemed to be unavailable to meet her three so they went home to meet her mammy uh but in the other the other guy rob uh, he was able to meet his three and they come and spend some time on the farm and it's all very nice and i don't mean that as a negative in that they all seem to get on very very well with each other the other participants, although technically they are rivals for, you know, 
the road frontage and various herd size um, all seem to really like each other and be you know play nice beside each other there hasn't been any backstabbing yet and I have to admit I, I went in with this I went in to watch this not really knowing what I was going to get but the more I the more I watched it the more I thought I could watch 15 episodes of this in a row it was just so daft and charming and even though you know I uh, even though I, I, <laughs> I present this urbane sophisticated uh, uh, profile that I have been cultivating for years <laughs> I suppose uh, technically I am uh, a culture <laughs> and I, I, I did and I come from from some farming background, uh, not under my fingernails, but in my lineage. And it is definitely, I, I found it just very, very, very charming, the whole thing. It was it was silly and uh, endearing in its own way. What I didn't really understand was what Anna Geary's role is beyond a functionary. She sort of just keeps moving things along. She doesn't seem to have any particular expertise in, in the love game in the sense that she's not sort of guiding them on what to wear or what to say or what to look for, etc. But just all in, Really, really charming. Yeah. So, like, the format is they get a letter and then they go on speed dating, or I'm slightly confused on that matter. Yeah, that's it. They get they so so people write in letters to the producers, who I presume vet them to some regard, and then um, then they go on a speed dating exercise where they the farmer uh, meet you know their potential suitors for I think roughly ten minutes, and from that from that they whittle them down to three, uh, and then they go on a more extensive date, but. At the end of the first episode, we were left with three, uh, you know, with the with the three hangers on, for, uh, you know, that are yet to be whittled down further, as well as the uh, teaser of more farmers to come. So I'm not sure if we're going to be following these farmers for more than two episodes or for the entire series. That remains to be seen. But um, it is a hugely successful international format. And I have to say it's off to a very good start. OK, fair enough. So next week, probably be two different farmers going through the same process. And maybe we might revisit these people later on in the series. I think so tonight they will cut off they will they will ca- catch up with the first two and add more but they'll probably complete the first two's you know search and then revisit them at the end but I don't know. <laughs> yes, okay, we'll find out. Right, our third show uh Let's go back to the start of the century. It's Big Brother. It's on nightly at 9pm on Virgin Media 1. You can catch up in the Virgin Media player. Here's a clip. It's probably another punishment. Based on first impressions, which housemate do you think would be the hardest to live with? Uh, this is a game. We're all friends. I'm going to say Olivia, just because I don't think we've gelled, and that's the reason I think it would be hard, because I haven't really spoke to you. See, if I get put somewhere else and I ask for I am if you do. This is Big Brother. Jenkin thinks Olivia will be the hardest to live with. Therefore, Olivia... You will face the public vote oh. for this Friday night's eviction. That's our laugh. That's it. The party is over. <sighs> right, so James, what can we say about it? I suppose they, they always tweak it. It's, it's, you know, slightly different each iteration. Is this yeah. one particularly different or is this classic Big Brother? 
So I think they're trying to ape for classic Big Brother, but within that lies a few problems, right? So the thing kind of what's interesting about Big Brother as a concept is when it debuted, you know, roughly 20 years ago, slightly more, I'd say probably the year 2000, I feel in my gut is when it, you know, when we had Anna Nolan just lose out because of Nasty Nick elevating Craig to superstardom, right? Uh, basically, it was when TV and, in fact, everything was in monoculture, right? The internet existed, but we didn't have it in our pockets. We weren't fluent in the usage of it. There was, you know, there was a more unified water cooler moment TV. And Big Brother came out at a time when people watched everything at the same time, or at least a lot, millions of us did. And it was unusual and different and kind of for us, really, the first uh, on this side of the Atlantic in the English speaking world, the first major reality show to break through. And now, 23 years later, the environment is very, very, very different. By that, I mean, uh, obviously, in the run of Big Brother, it got increasingly dramatic and silly. They went from casting what we thought were normal people to uh, less normal people who were very dramatic and ready to fight at the drop of a hat. And now we've moved into a period of time where we also are very cognizant of taking care of people who um, are on these shows in terms of their mental health and not maybe necessarily setting them up as villains in the way that we would have in the past. And because of that, Big Brother, I'm very intrigued to see where they're going to go. Because in this opening episode, everybody was very nice. I mean, certainly it was diverse in its casting. And it was, uh, everyone was very friendly to each other until the last minute where, as we heard in the clip there, this guy had to pick this woman and then she was put up for nomination. And then, boy, did they get lucky he picked her because she blew off and went mad and was absolutely uh, unbelievably annoyed and effing and blinding and throwing daggers looks and all the classic kind of stuff you wanted. But I just don't know if people are interested in this kind of thing anymore. The jury is out on that because at least with shows with Love Island, the hook is that they are, I mean, the hook is that they are good looking, essentially, right? <laughs> that they, they sit around a pool, they wear very little clothes, they talk absolute nonsense, they might cheat on each other, which is inherently dramatic. Uh, whereas here the hook is they do what Big Brother designs them to do. And that means they sit around a couch, they probably uh, get fight and argue, but then they do challenges. And when you look back at the history of the show, some of the challenges were absolutely excellent and some of them absolutely fell on their face. Yeah. And it really depends on how well produced it is. But look, it's made a return and it's kind of funny when I was watching it, when I was watching them all entering the house uh, this, you know, on Sunday night, even though it was to bizarre music choices and very odd editing, I was watching it going, oh, my God, their clothes are literally things people could have worn into the original house in the year 2000, because <laughs> that is that is the nature of things. There is this 20 year cycle. So perhaps it will return as big as it ever was. Yeah. The thing is, though, like Love Island <laughs> has managed that trick somehow to be, even though it's on terrestrial television, to be a water cooler show. Are there any indications of a Love Island influence there? I guess the other thing is Love Island happens during the summertime, right? Mm. I mean, I know they have had winter Love Island, which uh, I think, I don't know if that's happening or not this year, but um, it's at a different time of year where people are on their holidays or there is less on TV. So it's very easy to fill the timetable or the, the schedule, I should say. This is happening like in the autumn as the days are getting shorter and I, I, you know it's going to run for weeks and weeks. And it is a huge commitment for any viewer to make now uh, in the sense that you like you have to watch an hour of TV every single night in order to gain an appreciation for these people. And by appreciation, that can also mean a real dislike for. So it is, 
I guess I just don't know, right? I just don't know if this can go uh, the distance. But certainly, uh, in terms of scheduling, it is at prime time, nine o'clock show. It has it has pushed Raw Erontra to the ten o'clock uh, window that it was previously occupying, or the nine o'clock one, I should say. And all in, um, they yeah, all, all in. I guess the thing I felt most bad about was. There wasn't an Irish housemate. Yes. <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, that's what I'm looking for in each of these shows. Uh, well, they might bring one uh, in at a later stage. Right, those three shows are Beckham. You can stream all episodes now on Netflix. Love in the Country, that starts tonight at 9.30 on RTE 2. You can catch up on the RTE player. And Big Brother, that's nightly at 9pm on Virgin Media 1. And you can catch up on the Virgin Media player. Urbane, sophisticated James Dempsey, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.